Welcome back to the Acting Podcast, a podcast for the real life working screenwriter. I am Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. Today we have some this week's in writing that I think are really interesting and um, a great topic that has come up a lot in tweets that we've been reading in the writing community and that uh, emails we've been having and also just conversations Josh and I have been having amongst ourselves, which is advocating for yourself as a writer and what that means and what that can look like and why we even need to do it. So that's our main topic. But do you yeah. have it this week in writing? I do. Um, so I had read a Fred and script and there was just this one little scene where like the characters were just answering each other. Mm-hmm. And I remember I got this note from you and you were like, Josh, you don't always have to have characters answering each other. There, mm. You have to be more nuanced within these, like to push mm. the scene forward. And I ended up giving that note to someone. And in my brain, I was kind of like, oh yeah, that's so obvious. But I'm only bringing it up because maybe it's something that's obvious, but it's also something that it's a trap that maybe, you know, and what I mean by that is... Can you is, give an example by like answering each other? Yeah, for sure. So let's say you and I are in a scene together and I'm hiding a secret from you and you are just trying to go out to dinner and you're like, hey, Josh, what'd you do today? I'm like, I, I had work. What did you do? Like, I had, I went to work today. And you're like, great. How was it? Oh, work was good. And instead of me answering that, it's more so like, hey, Josh, what'd you do today? And I'm like, hey, we have reservations. Do you want to get out of here? So it's almost Mm -hmm. like answering with a question to a question. And it's built from motivation in a scene of what somebody wants to do. Mm. So it's not like question, answer, question, answer, because that's That's, not how a normal conversation goes. It's like, what does a normal conversation actually sound like? That's correct. And um, I wish I came up with a better example in in that moment. But that's what happened in this one scene that I was reading. And the scene Mm -hmm. was definitely not, it was just kind of lacking some motivation. Mm-hmm. And it almost felt like that, like the person was trying to find their rhythm in that mm. scene by you know, question, answer, question, answer. And it's just really effective to never answer questions, but answer it indirectly. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I always felt like if you listen to how people talk, which is where I, I did this a lot when I was first learning how to write dialogue, I would just sit and eavesdrop on people and transcribe what they were saying. Oh. Because when you transcribe what they're saying, you realize how many times they start and stop. Yeah. And how like exactly like you're saying, someone will ask a question and the way people answer is almost never directly. Like how was work today? It's it's never really like, oh, work was good. It was, I'm now launching into a story. Yeah. Like. You know, I, I, a huge sigh and then like, well, so-and-so did this. Da, 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 da. It's like, okay, but that's not the direct answer to my question of how it was work today, right? So like when you start to listen to the way people are nuanced, it does change the way you start writing. And that's interesting because, yeah, you I you haven't done that in ages. I don't remember you doing that. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, it's been a while. And I did actually get to thinking about it. And it, it is really, it's a good pressure test for your characters mm-hmm. to get a sense of, you know, if you ask me a question and I just go off on a ramble about John at work today, it's, it's, it's clearly I have some issues with John at work and there's right. some, there's something there. And that, and then that feeds into your character and your story. And maybe that's a little bit of an arc or that's a, something that is a callback that happens later in the script, like all those different things. It just got me thinking about it. And it is very interesting of how mm-hmm. characters answer questions. This happens in Back to the Future. They do such a good job of paying off every little thing that's said. 
Like, mm-hmm. oh, there's do. Strickland. They do a really he doesn't. Great job. What, does Strickland never have hair? And then we see him, you know, like when we see him, he uh. still doesn't have hair. Like those things that that come back as payoffs and callbacks. And anyway, that's all. Yeah, yeah. That's my first. Great one. one. That's a good one. Okay, I have I have one that's more for conversation. I don't know. So uh, my manager talked about reading a script recently, and she told me the log line. I was like, okay, like that sounds. That sounds good. That sounds interesting. She's like, yeah, it was fine. I'm oh. Like, what do you mean it was fine? She's like, you know, it was just, it was fine. It wasn't unique. I was like, can you elaborate on that? <laughs> because that log line sounds interesting. And while I don't think she ended up being able to articulate it very precisely, she ultimately was kind of talking about how the main character didn't feel like a star would be attracted to it. And the mm-hmm. only way this movie is going to get made, because it's a, it's a spy kind of action movie, um, is if a star got attached, like Jennifer Lawrence, for example. And what about this character is going to attract Jennifer Lawrence and make her feel like it's more unique than the next script that her reps give her? Mm-hmm. And my manager's like, there's nothing really in here that would do that for Jennifer Lawrence. It was just kind of okay. It was well-written, but it was just kind of okay. This comment kept bothering me because like, I'm like, but how, like, how, how do you distill that? Like, how can, is that subjective? Like, how do you figure out what makes a script unique? If again, the writing is good, technically well done, structurally sound, the dialogue sounds like real people. Like, where is the it factor that makes Mm. this really exciting to someone? And I mean, that's something I think we'll always struggle with. You constantly hear, I mean, you just sent me an article this week about how J.J. Abrams can't seem to get his shows up and running. And J.J. Abrams seems to be the king of unique concepts and kind of, you know, uniqueness. And he's, he's even struggling. So this is just, I don't even have an answer for this, but like, I just want to kind of talk about how, how do we make scripts unique? Yeah, this is, this is great. And as a matter of fact, this this week I had a conversation with my manager and about making a new idea that I had unique, which I actually thought it was unique, but he, he mm-hmm. was saying it felt a little straightforward mm. and it, it's still kind of messing, messing with me because I really like the idea and it's, it's about creating these like twists and turns throughout the story that make people want to keep reading and being like, oh, wow, I've never seen that before. I've never seen that, which is really, really hard to do. Yeah, very. It's hard to create uniqueness, but also have it tap into like a mainstream sensibility where people would want to make it as opposed to like Mm -hmm. a super indie film that would be hard to get made. Yeah. It's interesting that he said it was straightforward because I think that might have been the issue with the script my manager was talking about where she said like she saw the twist coming from a mile away and again it was well executed but nothing was surprising Mm. um i wonder too if voice plays a part in it like i've definitely read scripts that were well written but i couldn't tell who the writer was in the script itself there was no like unique energy to the way it was written and delivered and the way the scenes progressed didn't feel like it had a point of view. It just felt like a scene comes and it makes sense. And the scene motivates the next scene. And yeah, that all makes sense, but it is fairly straightforward. Maybe it is about, it is about voice and sort of different choices you're making from scene to scene too. I don't know. I mean, there are obviously a lot of factors because we can go on and on about what makes it, a certain 
voice unique and script unique, but not being straightforward makes a lot of sense. Yeah. This is, this is a really interesting topic because you look at something like John Wick and John Wick is a revenge story. We both love John Wick. We love the writing in John Wick. It's like one of my favorite movies, John Wick. But on the, on the base, it's just like a guy getting revenge for someone who killed his dog. Yeah. And it's still unique. It's still fucking John Wick, you know? Yeah. So, and like Taken. Taken's unique, but it's also Taken. It's just kind of like a revenge story. Yeah. Is John Wick straightforward? Is it, is it unique because... A, you get the fun of like people talking of, around him. Like everyone's mm -hmm. heard the legend of John Wick and everyone's heard a different legend and that kind of is cool. And is the, are the kills cool? Like I always think about like the, he killed someone with yeah. a pencil. Like is that what makes it unique or? I think, I think what you just said makes it unique. Like there's there, that aspect of like, oh my God, the boogeyman. You just, you killed the boogeyman's dog. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what makes it unique. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then it almost is like the backstory of character can make a story unique and, and kind mm -hmm. of, if your story is straightforward, maybe there's an emphasis on who your character was or is. Yeah. And then you have nobody, which we all know we love. Um, oh my but God. That, that feels like it was special and unique because through the action, you got to see a character kind of bloom and come into someone completely different where he starts and where he ends is completely different. So that's not straightforward, right? That's, that's a big arc for that character within the space of two hours. This is a big topic. So yeah, uniqueness, what makes something unique? Yeah, we, we may have to do a, an actual episode about this and maybe uh, find a straightforward script and or movie that people have seen and a, and a more unique version of that movie and, and compare the two. Like John Wick versus a Jason Statham movie, for instance. <sighs> That's what's so crazy about scripts There's or, or movies. There's a very fine line between yeah. a Statham movie, which I love Jason Statham, Me too. or a John Wick movie or a Keanu movie. But like, I, I remember there was this quote from J.J. Abrams that I think I'm butchering, but he basically said that like every movie is a B movie. It's just in the execution that makes it an A movie. Part of me was thinking that as well. Like it's it's about Keanu and it's about directing and John yeah. Wick, right? But we've also read Derek Kolstad's scripts and they are unique. So I don't know. There's something there's something there we can learn as writers, not directors. You know, Tasha, moving on. We forgot to announce something. Oh, kind of had a big. You have you're having a big week right now. <laughs> it took it took like 15 minutes to get there, but you had a huge announcement this week, and I I wanted to say, you know, cool. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. <laughs> hey, good stuff. <laughs> good yeah. job, Red Sonia. Red Sonia was announced Sonya. in Deadline and. There's a cast. It started production. Yeah. And your movie's being made like right now. Right now. Yeah, as we speak, as you're someone on, like, listens. Week two. Yeah. It's basically done. It's being edited. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I keep saying that like it feels like there are still three more miracles that have to happen before this is real. Like 
they have to go through production without getting shut down. Yeah. <laughs> they have to make it through the editing post process without getting shut down. Yeah. And then they have to somehow release it without getting shut down. So, like, so I, it's, it's so this has been interesting, right? Because it's the first movie of mine that has ever gone into production. Like Tomb Raider's technically gone into production first, but it's animation and it kind of feels like a whole other beast. Mm -hmm. This is the first live act. Like this is the dream that I've been having since I was like six years old, right? And it's been weird that I've not been like, holy shit. And I did have some holy shit moments. Like I I think Paul and I went out to a nice dinner when we we found out that it went into production and uh, had a nice congratulations call from my agents, which was nice. And I got excited. I told my mom, like all those things happened. Yeah. But I I feel like if it's a dream that's been building since six, that I feel like I should feel very differently. Yeah. And I, I, it feels like it's worth talking about because I think part of it is this is the, this project has been in the works for 14 years, not with me on it the whole time, but they've been trying to make it for 14 years, which tells you how difficult it's been to make. And then by the time I came on, you know, you do the best you can, but like, there's also a bunch of notes that you get and like all these, are we going to make it? And this actor was attached and then the actor dropped out. And then Mm. we were going to, we were going to shoot like sometime last year and like that didn't happen. And so all these different kind of obstacles along the way happen that when it's in production, you're just kind of like holding on to something you're just like kind of white knuckling it to be like well what's the next thing that's gonna drop yeah so you don't want to get too excited because then you might get let down what's so crazy also is that i i remember when this was all happening and you wrote the script and we've talked about it and then and it does seem like it just kind of went away and then all of a sudden you would drop a message and you'd be like hey i guess red sonia's starting production dave and i were like (laughs) wait, what? I, I, you had sent us a message. I was like, I think I missed a lot. Like something, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Well, I thought it was dead too. Like I turned in my draft. I went about my life. I got other yeah. jobs and like multiple other jobs. That's how far away it's been for me since I've worked on the script. And then I just get an email from the producer being like, oh, we're going into production on Monday. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> who's attached? <laughs> I, I have a theory that just happened just now while you were explaining what you were explaining to why maybe this seems a little strange. Yeah. You're so immersed into Tomb Raider and you have so much going on with that and you're seeing all of these things happening and it's ha- it's unfolding before your eyes that if it's almost as though like Red Sonia it you wrote it and it's not yours anymore. I mean it is yours but like Yeah. Now you're with something that's yours and you're working on Tomb Raider. And I think that kind of took over your brain power and definitely any conversations we've had. And therefore, it kind of created this distance from Red Sonia. It's very true. I, I sort of don't feel ownership over it, even though I think they're shooting my draft as far as I'm aware of. Um, <laughs> Which is another thing I, I like emailed my lawyer. I was like, oh, do I get a production bonus? Because that's, I, I mean, I think that's like what usually kind of happens. You get, you get some money as a writer when uh-huh. the movie goes into production. And he was like, oh, no, that's not happening. <laughs> He's like, he, what project? What are you yeah, talking about? Yeah. You wrote he was this? Like, you, get, you get a credit bonus. So like if at the end of the production, if you are still credited as the writer, you will get a bonus. What does that mean? Why would you not be credited as the writer? Any number. 
number of reasons. Like they decide, like the director decides on the set to rewrite the script because it's not working once they actually get there. Suddenly now the director's the writer because they've rewritten all the scenes as they needed to. And Tasha's no, it's no longer Tasha's draft that was actually shot. So like that's where arbitration arguments come in yeah. sort of at the end of production. And so, I, I mean, there's a lot that can still go wrong. And, and you're also right. Like I've definitely moved. It feels like past Tasha, like past that's past Tasha's movie. <laughs> like wow. current Tasha is, which even like if I took a step outside myself, I would hate myself for like hearing myself talk about it because you're just like, please snap out of it. You've mm. just got your first movie made. Like this is your dream. Like stop. I'm not, I'm not complaining. It's, it's more just like, I, I am confused by why I feel, yeah, <laughs> I there's... don't feel like completely 100% elated. And I think it's all of these disappointments along the way and also just the realities of how stuff gets made. You've been beat up so many times. You're still not sure if it's real. You're going to see the movie and you're going to be like, are we sure I wrote that? <laughs> <laughs> I think that... when I see it, that's when it'll it'll all come, come together. I wonder if you'll remember, you know, like... <laughs> you'll be watching you'd be like oh yeah oh that's right that scene oh yeah. <laughs> one of those things dang but this i is... bet you i'll still be rewriting in my head i bet you i'll be that kind of person where i'll be like oh i wish i'd come into that scene differently <laughs> like, no, no, right? no. Like... <laughs> it's, it's fine the scenes that work you wrote the scenes that didn't work you didn't write 100 yeah, <laughs> percent. that's just the way it is all right all right moving on let's move on to the main topic that's me warming up. Advocating for yourself. <laughs> Are you ready? Oh, what does it yeah. mean? When do you do it? How do you do it? Should we start with what does advocating for yourself even mean? You got to be your own hype man. You always have to be. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think we've talked about this. We talked about this on the podcast. When you sign with reps, you sign with your agent, you sign with your manager, everything is amazing. You think your life is going to change. And for a little while, you know, they probably signed you because of their scripts. So they're taking the script out. You're in contact with your, your reps and you're like getting phone calls. You're getting updates about everything that's going on. And then it feels like people are working with you or for you or one of the two. And what you end up realizing is that things kind of slow down and you have to start working for yourself and being your own voice because at some point your reps are not going to continue to push you out there at the rate that they were doing before yeah no I, we get fired up about this because i i think we were both like finally we have reps we can finally stop networking doing all the drinks and dinners with strangers that we hate doing and unfortunately it's just not true all those networking things can lessen over time because you start to build out your network and now you just kind of have a group of people who know you and, and love your scripts and stuff. Even then you still have to continually expand, right? As new people come into the business. But the truth is if you're just relying on your agents and managers or you're just relying on applying to contests and the blacklist and that's it, it's it's not enough. If yeah. If you start self-advocating for yourself, your career will just move 50 times faster, 100 times faster than if you are just doing kind of what feels like the bare minimum. And it, I know even the bare minimum feels like a lot. <laughs> um, I know people 
can get exhausted from my own experience as well as just hearing people from like constantly applying to contests and you know getting feedback from the blacklist readers and contest readers etc and you're like well they they keep liking my script why why aren't i going anywhere why aren't people reading me and it's because i think of this self-advocating piece that might be missing that's just unfortunately not fun for all the introverts that we probably all are <laughs> oh it's terrible well you're an extrovert i feel like <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, you're good at it. <laughs> you're good at it. I always wanted to hire you as my hype man. <laughs> oh, I've been fired now. I, now I'm on the back burner. Now, now you're your own hype man. Damn it. I could, yeah, I could hype you up. But it is a catch because it really is hard to advocate for yourself when you're just kind of, you know, you, if you don't have reps and you haven't met many people and you really don't know where to begin and you're like, what is, how do I even do this? Mm-hmm. I feel like if you're taking general meetings, if you sign with a rep and you, you meet people, at least in my opinion, you can carry those meetings over for like another year to two years. And what I mean by that is you can check in. If you have general meetings, you check in with them like, by the way, this is a tr- this, this, I did this not because of this podcast, but I actually just checked in with someone like that I met two years ago, but something came up and I was like, oh, I should check in with him. And so I just dropped him a message. How are you doing? would love to like catch up, grab a, grab a coffee. And I think we're going to meet next week. And it's things like mm-hmm. you just kind of have to stay on top of that shit. Yeah. I think, I think like the best example of the effectiveness of self-advocating kind of comes from actually like how I've gotten my last few jobs yes. because I- like none of them have been through my reps. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm so excited about this. This is like, I love it's- this. It's, 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 it's an interesting snapshot of how this all works, which is why I think it's, it's important to talk about. So the showrunner job that I'm working on now, I got it because my very first manager, who I got through a friend recommendation, who I believe was Dave Levinson, friend of the podcast. <laughs> One day. that's a contested story. One day. We're going <laughs> to unravel this story. <laughs> yeah, it's a mystery. Um, but I got this current job because my very first manager, who's also my friend, has had this varied career that has finally led him to being an agent at CAA. And he happens to be part of the team that represents the people that I am currently working with. And through email, he set me up with a meeting with a development executive at this company. And this executive at the time was just looking for writers who work in the same genre that I do to develop like comic books and other stuff that they were getting across their desk. So I emailed with this development exec and we set up a meeting and we realized we knew each other. We had been assistants together when I was at Universal and he was working at a production company who was making one of the movies that my boss was making. And we had never met in person at the time, which we should have, we should have gotten drinks at the time because we were assistants who were working together, but I was probably just tired and didn't want to do that. But we were friendly, yeah. We were friendly over email. Um, When you make movies together, assistants typically kind of bond because it's a nice support system. So we did remember each other. And then we met over Zoom and it was kind of just a regular old general, but it was also this time to like reconnect because we came up together. So we had like kind of similar war stories and we started working together on like comic book stuff that he would send me and none of it really worked out. I kind of passed on a lot of them just because it was kind of too much work for what I was up to at the time. But then this current job came up and he asked 
if I was interested and I just lost my mind because I absolutely wanted it. It seemed like a long shot, but again, because I knew this development executive, he recommended me and then set me up on a meeting with his bosses. And I had two or three meetings to get the job. Um, so it wasn't like, hey, I knew someone, so I automatically got the job. I still had to advocate for myself within the next meetings that I had with the, with the bosses who would eventually hire me. But another reason why I also got the job was because, yes, the producers ended up liking me, but then the studio didn't know who I was. I I never worked with them. So they had to call around and ask about how I was doing to other people who I work with. So they asked yeah. the Tomb Raider producers about me. And because that's going well, I got a good recommendation from them. And like, that's how the job happened was that you do well on the jobs that you have and people like you they respect how you work with them um and you're easy to work with all of those things right <laughs> you don't have an attitude problem all of those things really pay off yeah. because if i did have an attitude problem then that would have been the barrier to me getting this job and then of course like a connection i made all the way when i was an assistant so that's a scenario where my agents got a call and they were like what's this job tasha that you're, you're supposed to be getting <laughs> what is this oh wow you know what i took away from that that Tomb Raider is going to be great. <laughs> Knock on wood. Where it's all the wood. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that story. And I, I love enough, I love when you email your reps or call your reps or text your reps and just be like, hey, this, this popped up. Mm-hmm. And you know me. I, my goal in life is to one day. I mean, I, I get it. Reps are a necessary part of the industry, and it's good to have people on your team. But if you can just eliminate and just do everything on your own. Yeah. Oh my God. One day. Yeah. The beauty. Yeah. There's something very empowering about it and it doesn't feel restricting somehow. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the the other job that I'm working on, another, I got it through another assistant that I worked with while I was at Universal and she's now a development exec at a production company. And in 2020, I sold a TV show with them to Sony and it was an adaptation of something. So like they understood that that was a skill that I had. So then last year, the same exec asked me to read a script that they were developing. And it was just to get my thoughts on it, just to be like, hey, can, can you read this? We're kind of struggling with it. And um, I would just love your first blush thoughts, like zero pressure. And also it was kind of a big movie. And so I was like, there's no way she's asking me to like rewrite this. It was just, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on how it can be improved? And I give her my thoughts and months go by months go by and Mm. I get another call and it's like, Hey, you know, that script you read, well, we're going to hire another writer on it. So your notes were great. Would you be interested in pitching on it? And even that was like, she even said like, I don't think you're going to get the pitch because there's a lot of people who are like just more, way more experienced than you that we all want to hire. But like, (laughs) you know, I liked your notes. So do you want to give it a shot? And I did and I got the job and there was another situation where my agents got the call and were like, what is this project again? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Cause those are all conversations I had without them knowing. Have there been any other instances where you've reached out and nothing's come from it, but you've kind of been, cause those obviously are two incredible success stories, but have yes. you been like, but those weren't like, you weren't two for two. You were, you're like two for no, two a for- thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Almost literally. Yeah, absolutely. If you are self-advocating, like, what does that look like if you're reaching out to someone? 
a lot of it is just like what you're talking about. It's someone that you've met maybe six months ago, maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago, uh, an exec somewhere. And you just email and say, hey, just wanted to check in. Like I was thinking about you for XYZ reason that is either real or made up. (laughs) Yeah, of course. um, Would love to... Uh, like, you know, I'll say, I, I saw your movie that came out is is fantastic and, you know, would love to catch up and hear what you're up to now. And can I buy you coffee or want to grab a drink? Yeah. Something fun, right? And yeah, super yeah, yeah. low pressure. I think a lot of people when they, when we hear self-advocating and networking, a lot of people think you have to be more aggressive than it really is. Like, mm-hmm. it's not meeting someone and being like, here's all my scripts and here's what I'm working on. And like, how can you help me? Do you want to read my script? And how can I get a job with you? Uh, it's, and it's not even like asking it for advice from people. It's really just, let's be friends. And like, I want to hear you talk about yourself. Yeah. To- yeah. And, and that's how you make those self-advocating connections. I've been in this weird position where, uh, you know, I play a lot of tennis and when we, we've talked about this stuff before, but I've met so many people through playing tennis and just sitting down with them. And as a matter of fact, I'm meeting with someone in two days to talk about a project because we played tennis. We sat down, we chatted about it. He works over at, uh, he's an exec at a company. He ended up reading the script and this script had been kind of lifeless or Mm -hmm. I should say it's been kicking around, just kicking kicking around around in the world, literally just kicking around. And, uh, he read it, he liked it. Now I'm meeting with him and that that was kind of like how this conversation started when we were talking about it. It was like, mm-hmm. you really are constantly always, not in go mode or work mode, but you do kind of always have to be chatting about like the things that you're working on and what you like to do. And and uh, I feel like that also falls into like that self-advocating. I guess it's not networking. Mm-hmm. It's not like, hi, I'm Josh. Let's stay in contact with each other. It's more yeah. so just kind of the the more natural, this is what I'm doing. What do you do? kind of conversation. Yeah. When, it's very when much first... like, yeah, the whole like first half of that conversation was probably about tennis and family and friends and like life yeah. and what are you up to? And then it became like, so what do you do? Yeah. Oh, like, oh, that's interesting. And oh, I write this and it, and people can tell just as you can, like that if you're, if the first bit of your conversation is like, <laughs> oh, so I heard you're executive at such and such place. Yeah. What, you, what kind of stuff are you looking for? Immediately, they're like, whoa, dude, like relax. Yeah, I'm just break. trying to play tennis. In this particular instance, I've ac- I've actually known the guy for like a year. Oh, it's a long game. <laughs> I didn't know any. We, we sat down. We were both so tired from, from playing live ball act- and this 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 sport and this game. And, and we just chatted. And that's how it all came up. So it was, it was very organic. But I have had many instances where it's just that. It's like comes in the most natural form. This is sort of the beauty of living in Los Angeles because you're around so many people like this at yeah. any given time. And if you're involved with it, you you really do have a chance to talk with people who are like, like-minded like and in yeah. the same world. I think that's also something to keep in mind about self-advocating is that it is a long game, even though that term is not, of course, right. You know, conning anyone but these kind of connections that you're making are things that could pay off in a couple years so i also know people who are you know urgently trying to get a new job or trying to get in get in the business now and they're like well how can i self-advocate now to get into the business and unfortunately while that can happen absolutely you can in an instant and we've interviewed plenty of writers on this podcast who in an instant their their life changed but for the most part 
these are all threads that will eventually, this is the wrong metaphor, pay off. <laughs> um, no, I love it. In, in the future. So you're, you're laying that groundwork now. So I know you, you may feel like you urgently need another job or you urgently need to get into the business now, whatever the case is, but don't think of it that way because I, I think that might have you approaching those meetings in the wrong point of view, um, mm -hmm. the wrong standpoint. It's really just, you're making friends. You're making friends who will, in a year from now, when something crosses their desk, they'll think of you because they know that you love this kind of work. And that's it. And that's how you also make the best network, the strongest network, is if you're not just trying to get ahead and trying to trying to get uh, you know those interviews in and make sure that you make that, that network connection for the next thing. It's, hey, like, let's, hey, we'll eventually work together. Let's just be friends. Yeah. And I know what you love and you know what I love and we're cool together. And yeah. I mean, that's also like the kind of people you want to be working with. It's, it's not, yeah. it's not a con. It's just like the way you kind of would want to behave. Yeah. And build you don't want to be too, too aggressive. Oh, I, I wrote the next best thing. And here it is. It, you might think that, but you're probably not the best way to like reach out to someone and, yeah. and, and say that two things. One, it is the long, the long process. It's, it's like mm -hmm. the marathon. Even like what you said is you, uh, in your second story, it's been months. It was months before you heard back from somebody. Yeah. The other thing is I just want to touch on. If you're in a position where you don't have reps, you're just getting started, you, you know, you're looking for a rep and you're looking to meet certain people. I think, well, I'd be curious to what your route would be, but I've seen this on, like, I know, I know people on, uh, in the screenwriting world and I've seen people advocate on Twitter and I think they do a great job. People have placed on content in, mm -hmm. in contests and scored on the blacklist. And I think if you're in that position, if you're in that boat and you're trying to, meet a new rep or you're trying to have someone take your script out, I think you're just kind of grinding away and, and you're trying to like your email, in my case, John, I feel like if I was, if I placed him in nickels and I did well on the blacklist, I'd probably write John and say, Hey, I just want to introduce myself. This is my script. This is where it placed and this is how it's doing. I don't have any reps. I'm trying to navigate through the waters here. And, you know, I'd love to chat with you and I'd love for you to read my script. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that it, it, as like how to advocate if you're in a position where you don't have anyone that you know. Yeah. Something that I do a lot or did a lot as well is ask for an informational because that's so much less daunting for a person. Hold on. You've been using this term informational lately. Yeah. Yeah. I what, is this a new term that popped up? No, I would use I would use it all the time when I was an assistant. I do these all the time. Yeah, but that's a general, a general yes and meeting. No. Oh my god, it's an informational. So, like, if I said if if you were an executive at Universal, yeah. and I'm a nobody that you just met at the grocery store. Very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Um, I'm so glad I helped you when you dropped your peaches. Um, <laughs> And I go, oh, you work at Universal. Like, I'm trying to be your writer. Like, that's super interesting. Um, would you mind, like, reading my script, or would you mind taking a meeting? Like, you as an executive are are immediately like, whoa, girl, who just picked up my peaches? Like, that's yeah. that's a that's a step too far. But if I was like, oh, it's so interesting. Like, could I just possibly take you up to coffee just as an informational? Like, I would just love to sort of learn about your business and kind of what your what it's like to be an executive. My actual reason for doing this is because I want to this person to fucking read my script, right? And yeah. like, I want to like make this connection, but that's not how I am presenting it. I'm presenting it as I would like to buy you coffee and have you yeah. tell me all about yourself. I just want to ask questions about you. You're the hero of this story right now. That's what an informational is. And that's how you should treat it. Mm. And 
also it's genuine. Like you do want to learn more about their job. You do want to learn about like what this business is like from their perspective, but that's how you make that connection because in that meeting, A, they're not going to come with their defenses up because mm -hmm. immediately when someone starts asking you to read scripts, you're like, whoa, okay, easy. Take a, take a step back. Um, it's, there's a lot of pressure to that, but if it's just, Hey, I want to ask you questions. There's no pressure to that and they don't think you're trying to get anything out of them. So I actually really advocate for people taking informationals and treating them as such because you've just made a connection without having to sell yourself. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I'm a firm believer in, in trying to be as like organic as you can to who you are. That's it, yeah. I know, you know, it, and I think about this often, like I wouldn't even be opposed if someone were to write me and they were like, hey, Listen, I'm from Wisconsin. I've been grinding for a really long time. I have a couple scripts. This is what's going on with them. This is how they've placed. And I just want to pick your brain and get some information and maybe it would help me. I feel yeah. like people would respond to that in a very positive yeah. way. It's minor. It's like, I just want to pick your brain versus would you mind reading my script? If it's you, would you mind reading my script? I would be like, or if it was even like, would you mind meeting me? I'd be like, no, I'm sorry, I don't have time. But if it's like, I wanna pick your brain, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm happy yeah. to share information that I have if it's helpful to you. And here's the thing, like after an informational, I, I've known people who are like, well, why do I want information from them? I already know what I want. Why do I need an informational? It's like, again, that's not the point. So let's say I know I want a job at this company. I know I need to write something for them. I'm gonna mm -hmm. have an informational instead of something more aggressive and now you've you've had a great conversation you've talked about life and each other and just what you guys love and it's not about work it's just about getting to know this person mm -hmm. and maybe after you leave you don't have the job but that's not the point of the meeting right the point of the meeting is that in a few months maybe next year they're going to have an opening or they're going to have something cross their desk that's something you talked about I talked about history at that meeting and loving history. So now something historical comes up and they're like, Oh, I remember that girl Tasha was really cool. And yeah. she bought me coffee and that was fun. And she talked about loving history. Maybe I'll just give her a call because here's the thing. When, when executives have a project that comes up, they are submitted just tons of writers and it's just a list of names of people they don't know. But if they know you because they met you that one time and they know what you like, that puts your name kind of more to the top because that makes their job less hard, right? I don't have to get to know you because I already know you, right? You've cut the line. And yeah. I know that's, again, that's the long game and that can feel frustrating, but that's what self-advocating is about. Beautiful. Let's end with how yeah. do you self-advocate? Like what are some practical ways that people can go about actually doing this? Well, <laughs> if you have the contacts, I think, we, and we've talked about this before, I forgot who you referenced, but someone reaches out to like two execs per week, right? Yeah. Like one of yeah, your friends in exactly. your life. Yeah. If you have those contacts, I think you reach out to people and you just do a check-in and you're not too overbearing. You just you just message people and, and just say, I'm just checking in. Uh, I would love to sit down and chat and catch up down the line whenever mm -hmm. time freeze or whenever uh, you free up with time. Yeah, I think that's a great way of doing it. Like make a, make a schedule for yourself even or to reach out to someone once per week or once per month, whatever your sort of introversion or extroversion can handle and um, write them exactly as Josh is saying, would just love to catch up and grab coffee, do an informational, whatever it is. Um, it might be writers at your level 
don't ignore other writers. They're a fantastic community. They can yeah. eventually help you get work, but also are just great to have so you don't feel so alone. So do this with writers at your level. Do this with assistants or production assistants if you're at that level. This might just be like other writers that are in your neighborhood if you're not yeah. um, connected to a writing community quite yet. Just who are other writers in your neighborhood? I always would do that when I first moved to LA was look up meetups, look up cafes and, and places that like had writing events or, you know, like writing nights or something. And I would just go to them and try to meet people there. Yeah. Now with the power of Zoom, you might even be able to reach out to other writers on Twitter and see if they're willing to do like a virtual coffee or informational. So that's all stuff you can do. And if you're in the phase where you're really applying to contests and stuff, it's maybe reaching out to the other winners who mm. are in the same list as you and maybe reaching out to the people, a couple of people who run the contests, because guess what? They know a lot of producers. They may even be a producer themselves. Or I think Josh, you knew someone who was at a festival who quit running the festival and ended up becoming a development executive. Like this stuff. He's, he's a manager now. He's a manager, a manager. So yeah. This stuff happens. Reach out to these people and reconnect with them. I think, I think we get so stuck with who is the person who directly can help me with a job yeah. and not think of it as how do I build my community as a whole? And I will say we live in, you know, we've talked about uh, David Steinberg and he does the, the writers meetups, like exactly what you're saying. It's an opportunity to meet people. But if you do cold email somebody or if you, if people are so willing to give their time and have a chat with somebody else, I would say have an objective that isn't getting your script read or mm -hmm. selling something. Like what I mean by that is, hey, Tasha, I'd love to have an informational with you. And in my brain, I'm thinking, I want to talk to her about animation. I want to talk mm -hmm. to her about what those scripts look like and how she got into that. And as opposed to me just being like, hey, I would just love to chat and not have any like thrust within the conversation. Yeah. Because obviously if you're asking for a conversation, you're going to kind of be the person who's dictating the flow of it. Yeah, I think that's super, super smart. Yeah, that's a great. And also you, you mentioned David H. Steinberg, who is another writer that we interviewed on the podcast who's awesome and changed my life in terms of how I schedule my life. See, that's a per perfect example. If you could, you could message him and be like, can we just have a chat about your schedule? Just and that's what I did. 15 minute, of, <laughs> that is, you did it on the podcast. Excuse me. <laughs> can we stop and just talk <laughs> about your day-to-day -day life exactly yeah basically yeah. that 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 entire podcast episode was an informational for tasha um, <laughs> <laughs> but he has if you're in los angeles he has writer meetups that he hosts and they're fantastic and you should follow him on twitter david h steinberg and he always posts about when he's having these meetups and that's a fantastic way to meet other writers who by the way like this has happened with josh and i we we know each other as writers. Josh can't hire me. That's not how this works as writers. But uh -huh. he knows a producer that he met with. And that producer that he met with, like, really wants to do a fantasy thing. And Josh doesn't really write fantasy things, but he knows Tasha who writes fantasy things. So suddenly I now have a meeting with this producer that Josh knows because he thought of me for that. So meeting other writers can also be really helpful for self-advocating for your career. Boom. Boom. That's all I got. All right. That's it. That's it. In conclusion, I think... One of the most important things you need to do, and uh, and I don't say that lightly, is self-advocating. Um, yeah. You just, you, I know writing is your passion. It's the one thing you just want to do to write your rent check. But 
remember by becoming a screenwriter, you are entering a business of filmmaking and TV production. It costs multi-millions of dollars to produce anything that you're going to write. So as part of the business, you have to think of yourself as a business. And as part of that, you have to self-advocate for yourself um, to make your career move forward. And that's it. That, that's, that's, I think that's like the conclusion of this whole thing is by being a professional screenwriter, part of your job is going to be this. Yeah. This conversation has made me want to reach out to more people. I may, I may have been slacking, but people I've never met before, people I've yeah. never chatted with. Yeah, you should. I'm going to do it. I'm going to put this to the test because I'm talking like this, so I, I have to be able to kind of back it up. That reminds me, I'm supposed to email an executive to tell them that you're going to go pitch on one of their things. Self-advocating <laughs> during a self-advocating podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, quote of the day. <laughs> Failure and success live next door to each other, and they have no numbers on the door. You just knock. Guillermo del Toro. Oh, uh, wow. Oh, man. I, I, don't, I don't normally respond to the quotes of the day, but I love that. <laughs> Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act Two Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. You can follow... Me. Thanks, Tasha. Uh, Joshua Hallman on Twitter. Josh Hallman on Instagram. Like you're a guest. And as always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist, music by 414 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. Mm-hmm.